Hallelujah to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Everybody. Here we go. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah to you, Father. Righteous anger. As we start 2019, there seems to be a lot of anger that exists within our nation, within our state, within our community. It's okay to be angry if you're angry about the right things. And if you know what to do with the anger. If you look at our chief executive, and obviously unqualified, bigoted, sexually abusive, xenophobic, and economically insensitive individual who has ascended to the highest office in our land. It is primarily because white people are angry about their place in America. They're angry because they feel like they've been ignored and that they have been surpassed. They're angry because they're losing their jobs and they have little hope for them to return. They're angry because they feel like brown and black people are being given preferential treatment in the pursuit of the American dream. And just as starving people in the desert will eat the sand, so these individuals have swallowed whole the lie that Donald Trump is going to solve all their problems. It's been two years, and we are on the precipice of disaster. And what I find troubling is that some people act like white anger is the only anger that there is, or the only anger that we should give attention to. I'm here to tell you it's not. Black and brown people have been angry about their plight in this nation for centuries. While we serve this country at home and abroad, we are not and never have been embraced by this country. 
We are not seen as equal participants in the pursuit of happiness in this country. By and large, we are poorer, we are less educated, we are less healthy, and we have less access to opportunities for advancement than do our white counterparts. By and large, we are more harassed by law enforcement, more scrutinized by the business community, and more dismissed by the political structures that make up this country, whether those structures are local, state, or national. And they're angry. There's sufficient anger to go around to a lot of groups and a lot of individuals. And where there is a lot of anger, there is need for anger management. In the case of Christian people, there's a need for spiritual anger management. There's a need to know what to do when we're angry and how to use our anger to advance the cause of Jesus Christ, whose we are and whom we serve. As we take a look at Jesus in the text, the text says that Jesus is angry. The text says that he is distressed, that he is grieved in his heart. He had traveled to Capernaum, and there he had done many great things. He had preached the word, and he had healed the sick. But in spite of the good that he had done, there were those in Capernaum who were unhappy with Jesus. But I'm glad to report Jesus did not let that stop him. He kept on doing what was right. And Shiloh, let me just stop here for one second and say, you have to remember that no matter how much good you do, somebody's going to be unhappy. You can't please everybody. Somebody is going to be dissatisfied. Somebody is going to try to pull you down. Somebody is going to turn on you. But don't let people stop you. You keep on doing what you know is right. And know this, you don't belong to yourself, and you sure don't belong to them. You belong to Jesus. And if you concern yourself first with what pleases Jesus, then you can't go wrong. In spite of the people, Jesus kept on doing his father's business. But something happened that so distressed Jesus that it caused him to get angry. The Bible says that on the Sabbath, Jesus made his way to the synagogue, to the church house, if you will. And at the church house, he came upon a man with a withered hand. He came upon a man who had leprosy. It was clear that the muscle fibers of the hand had become ineffective. We don't know how long this man had suffered with this condition, but there's no doubt that there was a man in need. And no doubt also that the people of Capernaum had known this man. 
They were familiar with his condition. Perhaps they had talked about this man at their dinner tables. They had com commented about how pitiful his situation was. But no one could do anything to help this man until Jesus came along. Now, when Jesus came along, Jesus had the power and the motivation to help this man. Jesus recognized his need, and he was prepared to do something about it. But Mark writes that as he looked on the faces of those who were present, he sensed that not only could they do nothing to help this man, but they didn't want Jesus to do anything to help this man. Instead of sensing joy at the relief of this man's suffering, Jesus sensed that the people wanted to criticize him for doing good. And Mark says that because of the hard-nosed disposition of their hearts, Jesus became angry. Church, as we witness the anger of Jesus, we want to suggest that his anger is both right and righteous. It's right because Jesus got angry about the right things. You know, our problem is that we commonly get angry over selfish things. We commonly get angry over personal things, but this was not the anger that Jesus had. He had a righteous anger. Jesus wasn't angry about how folk felt about him. He wasn't angry about how folk were treating him, but he was angry about the condition of the human heart. He saw how small and how petty and how mean these people were. And in his estimation of their smallness, he became righteously angry. And I want to suggest today that if we are truly disciples of Jesus, then we ought to get angry about some things that are going on in the world. There are conditions all around us that ought to make us angry. When you think about the 800,000 government workers that did not receive a check on Friday and the ripple effect that such a tragedy has on families and on collateral businesses and the feckless, flaccid response from our congressional leadership, we ought to be angry. When we think about the disparities in taxation between the rich and the poor and between industry and the individual in this state, we ought to be Angry when we realize that African Americans are arrested for drug crimes by Baton Rouge police at a rate that is 397% more than white, even though they're all doing the same drugs at the same level. We ought to be angry when we remember that the greatest cause of mortality for African American males under the age of 30 is homicide. We ought to be 
angry. The Bible says that Jesus looked on them with anger. He was grieved in his heart. And I want to suggest on the second Sunday in January in 2019 that it's time for the church to get angry. First, consider who Jesus was angry with. The people that, 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 that murmured against Jesus were not publicans and, and sinners. They were not outcasts of society. Mark identifies them. He says that they were Pharisees and Herodians. And if you don't know who they are, let me tell you. They are the religious and the civic elites of Jewish society. These folk had high standing in the community. These were folk who were supposed to know better. They were church folk. And yet Jesus looked on them with anger. It just goes to remind us, not everybody in church loves the Lord. Not everybody in church has church in them. Not everybody in church cares about saving the lost. Not everybody in church cares about the plan of salvation. And I've come to tell you, if you're in that category, if you just come to church but there's no church in you, you need to check yourself today. You need to do more than just have folk good, think good things about you. But you ought to know for yourself that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. These were church folk. These were religious elites. These were civic elites. And yet the scripture says that Jesus became angry. Not only should you consider who he was angry with, you should consider what he was angry about. Bible says Jesus was angry because they did not want him to heal this man on the Sabbath day. You need to hear that. Because what, what, what they were saying was the rules were more important than the help. See, Pharisees believe that no work should be done on the Sabbath day, and healing was considered to be work. And so when they saw that Jesus was about to heal this man on the Sabbath, they were more concerned about the day of the week than they were about the healing that was about to take place. My brothers and sisters, when you love systems more than you love people, it causes Jesus to get angry. When you're more in love with the process than you are with the outcome, it causes Jesus to get angry. When you are more in love with form than you are with substance, when you're more in love with law than you are with love, it causes Jesus to get angry. You see, law without love is a dangerous thing. Love fulfills the law, for, for it's the love of Jesus that brings us together today. Law labeled me 
a sinner. But love says that I'm saved by grace. Law said that I am a wretch undone. But love says that I'm a child of the king. Law said I'm not fit to live and I'm not worthy to die. But love says though your sin be as scarlet, I will wash them as white as snow. Because I know that the love of God is more important than law. I cling to Jesus. And I'm not overly concerned about what the process is. I'm concerned about the people who need to be helped. Jesus looked on them with anger because they liked the process more than they liked the people. You live with folk who like process more than they like you. You work with folk who like process more than they like you. But you need to recognize that Jesus loves you in spite of the process, in spite of what the process says about us. And, and when the process throws us away, Jesus goes and brings us back. Jesus was angry with who the folk were. He was angry with how they felt about the man being helped. But as I close, because I know the saints about to come on. As I close, I want you to think about what Jesus did with the anger. The Bible says he looked on the crowd with anger. The Bible says that he had grief in his heart. But I want you to notice that he did not let his anger turn him around. He did not let his anger cause him to stop doing what he was doing. Somebody in that crowd may have been thinking, if I can make him mad enough, then maybe I can change his mind. You might know folk like that. Folk who just like to get under your skin thinking that if they can irritate you enough, they'll make you stop and turn around. But I'm so glad that Jesus wouldn't let their anger turn him around. The Bible says he told the man, come here. Stand in front of everybody. I want everybody to see what I'm about to do. And then he said, stretch out your hand. Now, now, I want you to think about this. When the hand was down here, it was ineffective. But when the hand got up here, it was fixed. When the hand was down here, it was withered. But when the hand was up here, it was smooth. When the hand was down here, it was sick. And when the hand was up here, it had been healed. Somewhere between here and there, Jesus worked. And healing took place. Do you know that it's not that far between here and there? Do you know that it doesn't take long to get between here and there? You might be suffering right now. You might be hurting right now. You might be feeling like the world is coming down around you right now. I'm telling you, just wait on the Lord. And between here and there, 
he's going to fix it. Between here and there, he's going to make a way. Between here and there, he's going to open a door. Between here and there, he's going to turn your life around. Between here and there, he's going to make everything. All right. Get angry. Get angry with small-minded people. Get angry with mean-spirited folk. Get angry with unjust institutions who seem to be bent on your destruction and on your unhappiness. But don't let your anger cause you to run away from Jesus. He's your hope. He's your peace. He's your joy. He's your way maker. He's your heart fixer. He's your burden bearer. He's your mind regulator. Stay with him. Stay with him. And between here and there, He's gonna make everything all right, all right, all right, all right. He's able, 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 able. Yeah, 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 yeah. Choir is going to sing a hymn. Amen. It's a fun song that we're going to sing, and it comes from Scripture. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So I want everybody to do one thing for me. Take that right hand and that left hand. I want you to clap just like this. Amen. Amen. I like to call it some spiritual aerobics. We're going to wake up, wake up ourselves this morning. Come on, come on, come on. Say, come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Come bless draw the near, Lord. Draw near to worship Christ the and Lord. Bless. And bless his name, his holy name, declaring he. Let's sing it again. Come bless. Come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Draw near to worship Christ and bless his name. His holy name. Oh, that men would praise him. Oh, that men would praise him. Oh, that men would praise him. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say rejoice. All right, all right. I think we got it now. Here we go. Come bless the Lord. One, two, three. Come bless. Come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Draw near. His holy name. Oh, that men would praise him. Oh, that men would praise him. 
says, oh, give thanks, oh, that men would praise his name, would praise his name to the ends of the earth. Oh, let's try it, y'all. Oh, that men would praise his name. Oh, that men would praise his name, would praise his name to the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name, would praise his name to the ends of the earth. Oh, that men. Sing it again. 